Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. I want to start uh, by just saying happy anniversary to our founding pastors. I I mean, I I wouldn't just bring it up necessarily anytime. I, I probably would actually, but today is really important. It's their 50th anniversary. Uh, It's their Pentecost anniversary on Pentecost. Pentecost means 50, and it's their 50th anniversary on the day of Pentecost. I just feel like there's something powerful happening. Also, if you remember, uh, you know, uh, we did a thing called the blessing uh, a few weeks back, and I just... uh, on here, on stage right here, I just felt like that God was going to do something on Pentecost. I said it. I said, I feel like God is going to do something here in our church, in our community, our state, at Pentecost. And I believe that today. I believe the power of the Holy Spirit is here today for you. And I'm grateful for my parents that founded this church in 1986, 34 years ago. And they did it with a lot of intentionality. They left a, a way of doing church that they had done for years, their family had done it, and they wanted something different that represented a new hope for them. And that's why they founded our church here at City of Life. That's why I'm standing up here today is their legacy. So happy anniversary, mom and dad. Love you so much. Uh, you know, some of the announcements that we had are phenomenal. Can't wait for the drive-through family reunion tonight. I can't wait for family room at six o'clock, our meeting that we're gonna do with our family. I invite you all to do that with us. All right, so the significance of today being Pentecost Sunday 50 days after Easter, it's the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out on men and women the way Jesus had predicted it would multiple times. And they're waiting. Jesus says in Acts chapter one, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon you. And this power was coming to them. So when Jesus ascended, they were waiting for this Outpouring. They didn't know what it would look like, so they just waited. And they actually waited in the same room together. And it says here that after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, people start speaking in other languages. It's this huge thing. Everyone is watching. They're speaking in tongues, different languages. And everyone sees the out. There's like flames of fire on their head. It is a supernatural event. And it says everyone that was watching, listen to what it says, Acts 2, 14. It says, Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you and listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, I will pour, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Come on, if you're watching today, say all people. On all people, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Old men dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those those days. They will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone will be saved. I want to talk to you today on Pentecost Sunday with a heavy heart, a message that's called Heal Our Land. Father, 
we ask for your presence today. We ask for every person that is watching that they would be encouraged uh, no matter what they're going through. Thank you, Lord, that when we planned this service, I had no idea we we're gonna be singing Waymaker and how appropriate it is that you are the Waymaker. And we pray for miracles right now in Jesus' name for every person that's watching that needs it, that needs mending of their brokenness in Jesus' name, amen. What happened this week with the release of, remember I told you, watch till the end. Don't, don't just click off here, okay? What happened this week with the release of the George Floyd video is um, just devastating. It's devastating to watch something that hurts so much, to watch another person lose their life. Uh, the pain of seeing that is not something that I've been able to shake throughout the week. It's been a really heavy week. It's already heavy. Coronavirus is heavy. F trying to figure out, I'm, I'm preaching to an empty church right now. <laughs> There's a lot of heavy things that are going on. And you know, today, uh, forgive me if, if I am just feeling a little vulnerable today, and maybe you're looking to me for strength today. Uh, all I would say today is look, look to Jesus for strength. I'm, I'm doing my best to follow the Lord and be as strong as I possibly can, but I'm feeling vulnerable myself. There's a lot of pain, a lot of heartbrokenness. What happened is unbearable. What happened to Ahmaud Arbery is unbearable. To, back to back, it seems like videos of watching young black men be killed in the United States of America. It's, it's, this, is, this is a scriptural teaching that I'm gonna get into today. I'm going to show you through scripture and take you through scripture and show you why this matters. This matters today. What we're talking about matters, the pain that is happening as a result of this matters. You know, I watch this with my children, Jude and Mia and Aim. We watched both of these videos together each day as they were, as it happened. It's, it's difficult as a father to explain to my kids that in our country, that these kinds of injustices can take place to people of color, to black people, or people of color in general. And we have to have conversations as a family and sit around and say, this is why this is wrong. This is why we can't allow this to take place. This is why we have to stand up. This is why we have to let the love of Jesus be seen in us more than ever before. And I'm watching my kids, tears fill their eyes. That is, that's tough. And that's tough for me. I'm a white guy. Okay, so let's just step back for this for a second. I mean, if it's tough for me, and I'm not going to get up here today and start qualifying all the black fr friends I have. I, I, I am not going to do that at all today. What I'm going to do is I'm going to keep it on point. I want to keep it on point. And I want to tell you something. It would be much easier to look away from certain things. But what did I tell my kids the other night? I said, We're, we, it's not right to look away from this. You know, my wife was on a, a, a private Zoom call this week with Christine Kane and Dr. Anita Phillips with about 40 uh, other pastors of, of major churches 
in the country. Some, some, I mean, almost every major church in the country was on that particular call. And I got to listen in on some of the conversations. And uh, Dr. Anita Phillips is just a brilliant uh, woman, an African-American woman who is not only a, a preacher and has been in ministry her whole life, but she's a clinical psychologist and really got to dig in to, uh, I suggest you follow her, by the way, if you want to know more information about what's going on. And uh, it, it's truly, truly eye-opening to, to really ha have some compassion and feel uh, what other people are feeling during this time. And as I was listening to this call and listening to the pain and listening to the reality of what life looks like for so many other people, I, it just becomes so clear how it's easy if we're not going through something ourselves to not be compassionate toward people that are. Why is it easy? Because it just is. I mean, how often do you stay up at night unable to watch Netflix because there are people that are starving in other nations? Probably not too many nights, but there are injustices going on all over the world. Human trafficking goes on all over the world. Okay, now I'm not trying to say just because you watch Netflix and you're not devoting your life to fixing that problem that you're inherently an evil person. But what I'm saying that is there comes a point in our life when something is happening not far away, <laughs> but right here, right around us. And th that's the time. So if, if human trafficking is happening somewhere so far away that you barely ever heard of, it's terrible and it's wrong. But what are you supposed to do about it? If it's happening in your country, okay, that's a little closer. What are you supposed to do about it? Well, what if it's happening right next door to your house and you see what's going on? How, how right is it to shut that out? No, that's not right. So I, I just want to say this, and if anyone, I would just ask, if you're watching and you don't know me, um, I don't know how much of this is specifically for you, uh, I know that I'm a pastor and my primary job is to love this church that God has entrusted my wife and I with and to lead them in a way that brings honor to Jesus and honor to this community. And I am not a person. I, I, I try to make sure everything I do is so scriptural and I'm never trying to lead people to make a decision to do this or that other than Jesus. I preach Jesus. I preach Christ and him crucified. It's the, me I mean, I wrote a book called Jesus First, Jesus Always. It's the mission of my life to make sure that the name of Jesus is lifted up for the decisions that people can't figure out. Sometimes I'm just gonna have to say, maybe that's not my job. Maybe some pastors, it's their job to tell everyone exactly what to do. But for me, I preach Jesus. Okay, so that's my, that's the way I do everything. So in my preaching of Jesus, I've come to a point today where it's just important for people that are hurting to talk about this today. And it's important, you know, we have, we have law enforcement officers that if this was a normal Sunday, they would be sitting on the back row in between the services worshiping. When I pull out of, of, of the property, I'm talking black, white, Latino, when I pull out of the property, they, they knock on my window and say, Pastor Jeff, thank you for letting us come back in the back and worship. This isn't to say what I'm saying today is not an indictment against brave, faithful law enforcement officers that lay their lives on the line. 
Last night on our Nona call, we had a former internal affairs New York police department officer that was on the call that was weeping, saying, this is so wrong what has happened. But now I feel like, as someone who served in law enforcement for over 20 years, now I feel like people are going to think all of us are, are wrong and bad. Can I just say something today in the spirit of what's going on? Can we stop lumping everyone together in these big groups? Can, today, can we have some compassion? Can we have some compassion for people and be able to call out exactly what happened? This man that did this was evil. It was wrong what he did. There are things that are going to have to change systemically. There are things that are going to have to be pointed out so that people do not feel targeted. It is gross to imagine that an American could jog down the street and feel worried that they have to jog. I don't care what color you are. The day after the Ahmad Arbery thing took place, I saw a guy jogging down the road in my street, a black guy, and he had all these reflectors on his, the back of his shirt. And I thought, I wonder, I started crying. I thought, I wonder, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I thought, I wonder if he is wearing all those reflectors in the daytime just to let people know he's jogging. My son wouldn't have to do that. So this is not a time where we need to be lumping people together in groups and condemning them in masses. What it's a time to do is to have compassion for people that are hurting and broken. I am sorry to the law enforcement officers that are good and work so hard to protect people. And this brings a level of disgrace or shame upon you corporately. I'm going to talk about that in a second. This is probably going to be a long message. You're going to have to probably go to the bathroom in between some of these points. Because uh, I just wrote too many notes. I couldn't, I couldn't trim them back. <laughs> but I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry. I, I know that feeling. When somebody in your industry that does something similar to you messes up, the first thing that we all do, no matter what industry you're in, is we go, great. Okay, but if it doesn't cause you did you ever hear that phrase, turn your critics into coaches? Sometimes I used to hate that because I just want to fight my critics. <laughs> but over the years, I realized there's some validity in that. So, so these t- types of things have to cause us to look inward. And I'm going to get to the other people that I'm sorry to in, in just a minute here. But Peter is quoting Joel 2.28 in this big, huge ax moment where the spirit of God is poured out on all flesh. He's quoting Joel 2.28. That's Joel 2.28 was the prophecy that said, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. So Joel is basically saying what just happened is a fulfillment of scripture. It's a, it's a fulfillment also of what Jesus just said in Acts chapter one. You'll receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And this is the beautiful part of it. When Peter said that to everyone, listen what had just happened. It said, when the day of Pentecost came, by the way, today is the day of Pentecost. I believe God is about to pour something out on people. 
I'm just telling you, that's why I'm here today. I wouldn't have showed up. I'm not here to make speeches, to make people happy, to say the right thing. No, no, no. I'm here because I believe in the power of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit is transformative. It has the power to heal things that we don't know how they can be fixed. And when the day of Pentecost came, it said suddenly like, this, like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw tongues of fire that separated, came to rest on each of them. And each of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Now listen to this. Here's the part that is so cool. It says, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Somebody, come on. If you're here, I'd make you say it. So I'm going to make you do it at home. Say every nation. From every nation. How many? That's every, every nation. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. So you say, what does that mean? Was, was, was there hundreds of languages being spoken? No, the, person, the people were speaking one thing, but two different people that spoke two different languages hearing one person talk, each heard it perfectly translated in their own language. It's a miracle. And they said, how is this possible? It goes down and tells all the types of people just to show the diversity. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans, Arabs. They said, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. Listen how big the vision of the gospel is. The vision of the gospel is enormous. What are the requirements to be in on this? What are the requirements to be a part of the, one of the greatest days? It's the, the launch of the church was this day. This is the day that Peter had preached and over 3,000 became saved. They became the church at Jerusalem. The birth of the church, it, we're celebrating today. Who was it for? Here's the requirement. Whosoever. That is it. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Black, white, male, female, slave, free, no matter who you are, no matter what your occupation is, there is unity in one person and one person alone, and his name is Jesus Christ. See, Peter was at the helm of the church, the early church, as all of this is happening. He's the one that preached that big message. But I want to tell you something. Peter got put to the test and he did not pass the test in many areas after this. In Acts 10, Peter goes up on his roof to pray. I've never thought of doing that before, but he did. He goes on his roof to pray. And while he's up there, he sees this vision from heaven of a sheet. And inside of that sheet are all kinds of animals, four-footed animals, birds, reptiles, all kinds of things. And he hears the voice of the Lord say, take and eat. And he goes, woo, I would never take that and eat. I, I, I don't eat stuff that's unclean. And God says, how dare you call something unclean that I have called clean. Then what happens is some people come to his house right at that moment from a non-Jew named Cornelius that an angel has also spoken to him at the same time saying, come see Peter and talk to Peter. Gentiles were not allowed to be saved. Remember in, in, in 
at the outpouring, it says Jews that spoke every language. So those people that were converted were Jews. Now, they were from every nation, but they were from Jews. Now, Cornelius sends his servants over to Peter and says, hey, he wants to see you. So Peter then goes over and says, fine, if God says don't call, and you say, what does that mean, unclean? Gentiles were considered unclean to Jews. Why? Because of something that is called ethnocentrism. And what that is, is it is the belief that our way of life is superior or better to someone else's way of life. Now, ethnocentrism is not always racism. It's sort of an inherent thing in human beings. So you say, well, what does that mean? It just simply means this, that if you grow up eating a certain type of food or doing a certain type of thing, of course, you like that way of doing it. And you view anyone else that does something else, you, you think to yourself in your mind, well, my way is better than their way. It, it doesn't always equate to racism. But racism is when you, you are so ethnocentric that you start believing that you're a better person than other people. So what happens is Peter has called these people unclean and God says, hey, you're going to have to change your culture, buddy, because we're going to invite some people in that don't look like you. They don't eat like you. Whew. They don't, thank God. Thank God. I, I love me some diverse foods now. Come on. He says, they don't eat like you. They don't worship like you. They don't make music like you. They don't do all the things you can do, but we're going to invite them in because I'm about to expand your world. And Peter goes and finds this guy, Cornelius. And when he finds them, in Acts 10, he begins to pray over him. And Peter says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. God does not show favoritism toward nations and he doesn't show favoritism toward races. He was part of the Gentiles being converted. That is powerful twice. We see him preaching these massive messages. But listen to this. Later in Galatians 2, 11, Peter gets called out directly in scripture from Paul. And look what Paul says. Paul says, when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. Paul goes directly to Peter and confronts him over what? Listen. For what he did was very wrong. This is Peter, like St. Peter, like the head of the church. Paul is calling him out, saying he's wrong. It says, when he first arrived, he ate with Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. P Paul goes and confronts Peter because Peter is hanging out with Gentiles, non-Jews, chilling, having a great time, eating their food, getting outside his little ethnocentric bubble. And he's doing what's right. But then he, some people from, that hang out with James come and say, what are you doing hanging out with Gentiles? He goes, oh, man, sorry. Uh, I, I didn't really mean it. And he, he forsakes hanging out with them. So he gets called out. Now, we see in 2 Peter 3.16, Peter writes at a later time, and he calls Paul's letters 
Scripture. So I think we can surmise from that confrontation that Peter got corrected and received it. That's the sign of maturity. When you get corrected and you receive it. So you have the head of the church here who is having trouble ethnocentrically moving outside of his bubble. He's going back to his old ways. He has to get called out by someone that's close to him. And what does he do? He gets his heart right and he proceeds. Ended up dying a very noble death. For, he crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified the same way as his Lord and Savior. Now, where does that bring us today in this conversation? Well, where it brings us is, is to understand that we have a, a propensity and a tendency to want to stick with what we know. It's just, it's, it's part of humanity. We want to stick with what we know. We're comfortable with things that look like us. We're comfortable thing, with things that sound like us, that feel like us. And we gravitate toward things that we feel like we can fit into. So let's be very careful, Christians, in the age of coronavirus, where people are hurting and they need help and they need love, and they need compassion. They need mercy in their life. They need empathy in their life. Let's be very careful that in this age where we have an opportunity to love people and to make them feel recognized that their pain is valid, that what they're feeling is valid, rather than going to our default things of saying, oh, well, I need more information. What? You need more information? We're missing it if this is our default. We all have defaults. Most of us have defaults that are not right. But you know what? It doesn't mean we have to keep them. I talked last week about pressing reset on our lives. That sometimes, you know, when Apple TV is not working well, I just turn it off and turn it on. I reset it and turn it off. Sometimes we need a reset. I think we need a reset. And today... In scripture, we see that from this amazing, I love, Peter's, Peter's one of my favorite characters in the whole Bible. He reminds me of me, someone who screws up a lot, but earnestly has a heart for God. I've made so many mistakes along the way. I'm grateful that I get a second chance to, to, to wrong rights and to move forward. And I want to make sure today that we realize that the Bible is pretty clear that there is personal responsibility and corporate responsibility. In Joshua chapter 7, a man named Achan is told that as they are going into Jericho, not to touch anything and not to pillage or plunder anything that is in the city because all the gold, all the silver, everything they're about to take belongs to the Lord and it's an offering to the Lord. So for the honor of Israel, they're not allowed to touch anything. But you know what Achan does? He touches something. He takes it home with him and he hides it. So the next day, God speaks to Joshua and he says, hey, he says, I, I'm, about to, I'm about to set y'all on fire. <laughs> I just told you, do not let anyone take anything. And this guy took something. Now go take care of it. I'm going to burn y'all up. So Joshua goes person by person through Israel and tries to find who it is. And when Achan finally comes forward and says, yes, I did it. I couldn't resist. I took it. You know what happened to Achan? They took him and his entire family and they stoned them to death. His whole family died because of his sin. 
That is corporate responsibility. You're saying, well, why would God do that? In some ways, I don't know. I know that a lot of things in the Old Testament that took place are so brutal, so graphic, so harsh to let us know in an age of grace, the consequence of sin. It's so we can look back and say, look how serious sin is. And so we can learn lessons from those things. It doesn't mean it's God's ultimate plan down the road. We see God's ultimate plan exemplified in the person of Jesus Christ, who is the new covenant. So this, this particular story in Joshua 7 shows us that there is a family level of responsibility. So I don't know, have you ever had a family member that did something wrong? How about parents? Have you ever had your kid that did something that was embarrassing? And, and you had to go apologize to someone for something your kid, did you do it? No. Then why did you apologize? Because your kid did it. They're part of your family. Did you, do you have the right to apologize on their behalf? Not completely, but it would probably be inappropriate if you didn't. If your kid walks up to my kid and slaps them and I see you and you don't say, I'm sorry, I'm gonna be upset. We see that's a biblical idea. In Daniel chapter nine, read it yourself. The whole entire chapter is Daniel repenting for the sins of Israel. He repents for everything, for all of their terrible ways. And he says, it's appropriate that I repent. I have to repent for what has taken place in my nation. We've been evil, we've turned away, we've served the wrong gods, we've had a bad attitude. And he, did he do those things? No, but he was repenting for his nation. So we see that corporate responsibility not only applies to families, but it can even apply to an entire nation. One person saying, I'm sorry and repenting for an entire nation. And then finally, Romans chapter five, verse 19 says, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. I wanna read that one more time. I'm not reading it. I, I don't know why I said read, I'm saying it because I see the scripture that I memorized when I was 23 years old in my head when I, when I say it. For as by one man's disobedience, how many men disobeyed? One. Who is that? Adam. As by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. I'm a sinner because of Adam, the Adam in me. As by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So we see now, and not only there is uh, corporate responsibility in a family, there's corporate responsibility for a nation, but then it's, there, there's corporate responsibility for the entire human race. Yeah that one person federalistically can bring a whole race down, but one person in Christ can redeem it. So I hope you're following this with me today. That on that journey, that, that even though self-government and personal responsibility, self-government is a huge personal value of mine. It's really important to me that the leading of the Holy Spirit, if you've ever heard me preach, the leading of the Holy Spirit has to guide me. I have to self-govern, why? Because I'm not allowed to take anyone to the throne room with me and say, look what they did. No, I stand before that throne, me and myself. Okay, so, so self-government is really important. Personal responsibility 
is an important value, but let me just tell you something. Personal responsibility does not preclude corporate responsibility. Those things are not mutually exclusive. You can have personal responsibility and still have some corporate responsibility. I was, I was sexually abused by my grandfather when I was a kid. Um, multiple times. And he had a history of sexual abuse. There's just no telling in that age how many people he abused. I, I came home at one point and told my parents these games that we had been playing that I thought was games. And um, I, I just almost don't even talk about that very much, not because I'm a, a afraid to talk about it, but because God has given me a lot of freedom from it. And also my mom and my wife, the two most beautiful women that I have ever known, grew up sexually abused. I mean, for me, it might have happened, um, I don't know, a, a, a handful, a dozen of times. I don't know how many times. I mean, any amount is too much. But to them, it was just, the, it was their whole life growing up. So as I got older, you know, my wife, my mom was abused her whole life growing up till she was 17. My wife was abused from the time she was seven to the time she was 15 years old by a family member. And it's devastating. And, you know, it wasn't until I got older in life and I started praying about things, about the way I think, some of the things I struggle with, difficulties I have. I had a pornography addic addiction for many, many years of my life from the time I was 13 years old until I was in my mid-30s. It, it never really occurred to me until I started getting to those phases where God did something amazing. I got healed in my mid-30s of this addictive thing that had a, a grip on my life and made me feel shame and condemnation about every single thing I ever did. I felt worthless. I never connected the dots. I wonder if some of the things that happened to me when I was a kid settled down in my heart and subconsciously were affecting me. Those are deep things. You know, sexual abuse is devastating. It is dehumanizing. That is really important to understand that those feelings that would come up in me when I would fail, I, I felt like a thing. I felt, you know how you just kind of label things? You're a loser. You're an alcoholic. You're a, you're a divorcee. You're a, and, and you say these words that literally take all the humanness out of people. You're black, you're Latino, you're this, you're that. And, and when you just say that's what someone is, it's so dehumanizing. And there's trauma. When abuse takes place, there's deep trauma. There's emotional brokenness. And when, per, when people lash out or they hurt or become overly emotional, you can't just say, stop, get over it. It's not my fault. You can't do that. I know this because I love my wife. I've walked with my wife and been with my wife and been in love with my wife since I met her in 1995. Our relationship has not been perfect, but through those whole years, those early years of me trying to understand the deep trauma that this beautiful young lady went through. I didn't get it, even though I had been through some level of it. My mom had been through a huge level of it. I saw it demonstrated all through. My mom tried to take her own life at one point 
as, a, as an unbelievable Christian that loved Jesus, didn't have any answers for the brokenness and the hurt and the abuse and the dehumanization that made her feel less than, that wanted to give up on her own life. My wife tried to take her own life when she was 16. She took 80 Tylenol. Why? It was dehumanization. The things that were done to her made her feel like she wasn't worth anything. When we are dehumanized, Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. That is why he came, that we can have life and we can be reconnected to who God intended us to be. When you have tried everything and I tried everything with my wife, I tried to figure out how to solve things. I did the, it's not my fault things. I did, I did the, all, when we used to argue about things and, and she would just go somewhere. I was like, what? It, I'd said mean stuff. What's your problem? You know, I did all the jerky things that you can possibly do. But you, when you have tried everything and you realize that there's a point that all you can do is just say, I am sorry. I am so sorry. How can I help? That's all you can do. Say, I'm sorry. I'm here for you. In Matthew 26, Jesus is in the most broken moment of his life. He is taking the collective sins of humanity to the cross. He knows it. The emotions of it are overwhelming to the point. And, and if you've heard me preach on this, I'm not going to go back into it too deeply, but he, his, he starts sweating blood, literally. His capillaries burst. He's so stressed out. Listen to what he asks his disciples to do. He says, will you come with me to Gethsemane and just sit here? He did not ask them to pray. He did not ask them to fix any. He didn't say, sit here and guard me. He just said, sit here. Just, just be here with me. Just support me. He went over and prayed. He said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. He's about to die. And all he wants is someone to just be there with him. And they fell asleep three times. Even the saints, the apostles, were so self-absorbed that they ignored Jesus' pain and angels had to help him. Angels had to help the son of God in his darkest moment when no one was there for him. He had to turn to heaven because no one on earth would help him. Well, I'll tell you something, that's not gonna happen here. That's not gonna happen here. We're not gonna let people have to just go in their closet and look up to God. Here, we're gonna help people. It's a time like no other time in history. People are stressed out, this stinking virus the pain of people of color all over the world. This church, you know, you don't have to look too close to me to know that I'm a white guy that grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. Birmingham is probably the epicenter of racism. I mean, it, it is like the representation. And, and look, Chris Hodges, Church of the Highlands, it, it's incredible. The church where Church of the Highlands is just transforming lives and changing people's lives in Birmingham. Did you know that my grandfather, not the one who, who did that to me, but my amazing grandfather on my dad's side who pastored multiple churches, 
pastored a church on the same property the Church of the Highlands has their church on. So the seeds that my family sowed in Birmingham have come to see one of the most amazing churches, campuses. God is doing incredible things and revival has happened in Birmingham. I'm talking about old school Birmingham. <laughs> That's where I am from. And to come from that background and to be a pastor of a church with so many different kinds of people is an honor. Uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity to learn and to grow. My world is so much bigger. My world used to be so small when everyone around me looked like me. I have grown so much and it truly is an honor, but I'm just gonna tell you the pain of people of color right now at City of Life Church, we will not and cannot ignore it. First of all, just, I, would just let our, I would let our chat rooms be a love fest with each other today, just letting people know how much you love them and care for them. I think it's really important today. To be, by the way, hallelujah wall, I love you. How are you guys doing today? Amazing, amazing, good to see you. Sorry I haven't been more uh, person, personable today, uh, but having you, having you behind me and having you guys text me last night and this morning was really powerful to me. I'm having trouble even looking at you. So the pain of people of color and, and just, by the way, racism is just a flat, out sin. Absolutely no way to justify a feeling of superiority when you have been in the presence of Jesus, the last thing that you feel is superior. Isaiah, when he got in the presence of God, you know what he said? He didn't say, "Woo, I'm better than everyone that wasn't worthy to be in the presence of God. He goes, woe is me, a man of unclean lips. So what, what does it mean? It means that when you get in the presence of Jesus, if you want to see people who have been in the presence of Jesus, they feel like they're nobody. Not that they're better. Than, they don't feel like they're better than anybody because they realize how supreme and beautiful Jesus is. Racism is, is a sin. And it's not exclusively from whites. I mean, the, the preponderance and majority of white people are very accepting and have grown tremendously. So this is not an indictment against whites specifically. And it's important to know too, that racism doesn't just come from whites. There, there are multiple different types of ethnicities. And if people feel their, we, we talked about ethnocentrism. When you feel like yours is just simply better, just in terms of the way we do things, that's one thing. But when you go on to feel like you're a better human being than someone else, that turns into racism. And that can be in any culture, that can be, in anyone, in our church, we're about 50% Hispanic. I think we're more than 50% Latino at City of Life. It is an, these are people of color. And these are people who have also experienced it. You know, the other night in our, our City of Life Church Nona meeting, one of our amazing, beautiful members just started weeping and crying, and, and multiple ones actually, started weeping and crying, talking about the way they've experienced discrimination as Puerto Ricans. So it's a broad, big subject. There's no way to digest it all in one conversation. I just wanna simply point it out at right now, the African-American community is struggling in our country. And I want to make sure that our hearts are connected and they know we're there, but I want also all people of color to know right now that God loves you, he cares for you. And there's some people that love you too and support you and are behind you. Okay. so. I, I wanna make that clear. Dr. Martin Luther King was a preacher, okay? That is one of my favorite things about him. Some of the things that he did 
for, for the civil rights movement are beyond comprehension. One of the greatest men. I mean, when I go, we go sometimes to that uh, Madame Tussauds uh, wax museum or whatever. And when I see his statue there, I just stand there and I just go, wow. I just, I just look at his, his wax figure. I, th I think, what a guy. I think, well, he's about my height. Uh, but he, he's just, this guy was, was a powerhouse. But you know what? I, I, as a preacher, my favorite thing about him is that he loved Jesus. He deeply loved Jesus Christ. He was a pastor, not just a preacher. He was a pastor for years and years. He didn't even want to be involved in the civil rights movement. And what I mean by that is he, could, he couldn't quit doing what he was doing because he was drawn into it. He was a pastor that wanted to pastor his local church, but he realized his voice was needed. So the, on April 11, 1963, he goes to Birmingham to peacefully protest some things that are taking place. But an injunction has been put against him from the leaders and all of these clergy members write him these letters. He gets thrown in jail. He, he knows he's going to get thrown in jail, but he's peacefully protesting some of the things that are taking place in Birmingham and he gets thrown in jail. And he writes this letter. Some of this is, I've, I've condensed it. It's one of the longest letters I've ever seen, but some of, some of this is, uh, I've, I've condensed some of this because I want you to hear, it's called Letter from Birmingham Jail that, that he wrote. He says, perhaps it is easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, wait. But when you've seen vicious mobs lynch your mothers and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you have seen hate-filled policemen curse, kick, even kill your black brothers and sisters, when you see the vast majority of your 20 million Negro bro brothers smothering in an airtight cage of poverty in the midst of an affluent society, when you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering as you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter why she can't go to the public amusement park that has just been advertised on TV and see tears welling up in her eyes, when she's told that Funtown is closed to colored children, and see ominous clouds of inferiority beginning to form in her little mental sky, and see her beginning to distort her personality by by developing an unconscious bitterness toward white people. When you have to concoct an answer for a five-year-old son who is asking, Daddy, why do white people treat colored people so mean? When you take a cross-county drive and find it necessary to sleep night after night in the uncomfortable corners of your automobile because no motel will accept you. When you're humiliated day in and day out by nagging signs reading white and colored, your first name becomes the N-word, your middle name becomes boy, however old you are, and your last name becomes John, and your wife and mother are never respected and given the title Mrs. When you're harried by day and haunted by night by the fact that you are a Negro living constantly at tiptoe stance, never quite knowing what to expect next, and are played with inner fears and out of resentments when you're forever fighting a degenerating sense of nobodiness, then you will understand why we find it difficult to wait. There comes a time when the cup of endurance runs over and men are no longer willing to be plunged into the abyss of despair. He's writing this to clergymen that have criticized him for taking a knee, to, to preachers. He says, but though I initially was disappointed at being categorized as an extremist. As I continued to think about the matter, I gradually gained a measure of satisfaction from the label. Was not Jesus an extremist for love? Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Was not Amos 
an extremist for justice, lest justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream? Was not Paul an extremist for the Christian gospel? I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Was not Martin Luther an extremist? Here I stand, I cannot do otherwise, so help me God. And John Bunyan, I will stay in jail to the end of my days before I make a butchery of my conscience. And Abraham Lincoln, this nation cannot survive half slave and half free. And Thomas Jefferson, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. So the question is not whether we will be extremists, but what kind of extremists will we be? Will we be, will we be extremists for hate or for love? Will we be extremists for the preservation of injustice or for the extension of justice? In that dramatic sense on Calvary's Hill, three men were crucified. We must never forget that all three were crucified for the same crime, the crime of extremism. Two were extremists for immorality and thus fell below their environment. The other, Jesus Christ, was an extremist for love, truth, goodness, and thereby rose above his environment. Perhaps the South, the nation, and the world are in dire need of creative extremists. To get back to our text, in the last days, Acts 2, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Verse 21, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what do I do? You know what? You can say, I'm sorry. You can say, I'm sorry. Now listen, you're going, I didn't do anything. I explained, maybe you need to rewind and just go back and look how there are times where it is appropriate when people are hurting to say, I'm sorry for what has happened to you. I'm sorry for what's happened to your race. I'm sorry that you struggled. Yes, I believe in self-government, but I also realize that on a system level, there are things that hurt people and people are not treated the same. I don't worry about my son going jogging. There's something wrong with that. When people live in a constant state of fear, worry as Christians, if we're gonna reach people, we have to be able to, we have to be willing to stand with them and for them. Say, I'm sorry, don't fall asleep three times on the people that need you in their darkest moment. That's what the apostles did. Embrace people that don't look like you. Figure out a way just to text somebody and just say, hey, I'm sorry, and I'm just sorry. I love you, I'm with you, I stand with you. Stand against injustice. It's okay to call it out, it's not an indictment on entire industry. Don't let people put you in a box. It's not an in, 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 indictment on every good person to call out when someone does something wrong. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this, and I'm closing. I'll, I'll be done in three minutes, five minutes. It says, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. I can't think of a time ever where our land needs to be healed more than right now. We need to be physically healed. We need to be emotionally and spiritually healed right now. And on Pentecost Sunday, woo, in Jesus' name, I'm praying that the power of the Holy Spirit just moves right now. Just comes wherever you are, wherever you are listening, that just like it was poured out, on that day in the book of Acts, I'm praying that you feel hope rising in your spirit right now. What does he tell us to do? Humble ourselves. How do you do that? Sometimes it's just saying, I'm sorry. 
even for something you didn't do. Hey, listen, if you're married, hallelujah, wall, for those of you that are married, got your hands up, I'm telling you something right now. If you got a good marriage, then you apologize regularly for things you didn't do, right? Right? So even if you did not personally do something to humble yourself, you can, sometimes you apologize for what you did do and for what you didn't do. So what do you do? Apologize for what you did do and apologize for what you didn't do. Say, I'm sorry. Let's humble ourselves to God and to people. It says pray. We don't pray enough. We talk way too much and we don't pray enough. We got to get in our room and lift up our hand. I'm asking every person watching today to pray for this nation. Today, when you're done with this, go into a room by yourself. I'm asking every person, I dare you to pray for our nation right now. I dare you, I challenge you to shut everything off and take five minutes and lift your hands above your head until they hurt for the whole five minutes and just say, God, I come to you in Jesus' name, bless this country. We will see revival break out in this country so fast. This moment that the enemy intended for evil will be turned around to put America on a fast track to revival, to the presence of God like we have never seen before. I can see in my spirit racial harmony. I can see in my spirit people from every nation in Revelation chapter 5 when we get a preview of what heaven looks like it says and they were purchased by Jesus blood out of every tribe out of every language out of every nation that's what heaven is going to look like and I believe when we say thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven it's not a wish it's a declaration we declare it and whatever has to be done to make it happen we're willing to do it in Jesus name humble ourselves pray it says that we've got to seek God let's get into the word and seek divine wisdom and then finally it says turn from their wicked ways that's before then I will hear from heaven I'll heal their land that means we got to change what's wrong so when we see opportunities to address things that are wrong, let's address them and let's change them. Let's do it in humility. Let's stop letting people push us away. You're in this group, you're in this group. No, 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 Our, uh, we have to have all kinds of people. As a matter of fact, Pastor Amy and I, for today we've been talking and we're going to amend our vision statement today. None of our staff knows this, only, only Amy and I know. And so we're gonna change, we have to change it on the website, we have to change it everywhere that it's printed. Because when my parents started this church in 1986, culturally, this was not a diverse area. That, that doesn't, this isn't not an indictment on the people that lived here at the time. It's just saying that it just wasn't. Just demographically, it wasn't. But you know what? When they rolled into town, they kept saying the kingdom of God is a non-judgmental society that, society that ministers dignity and esteem to all people. That rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And because of that, they, have, they created a vision for something that is diverse. So today, I, I just felt like it's important. I knew that God told me that on Pentecost, something really beautiful was gonna happen. So today, I wanna make sure that in our mission statement at City of Life Church, now I'll tell you this, the only other people that do know are my parents. We did talk with them about this. They got counsel on this particular thing and they're 100% behind us. But I feel like it's important that to carry on that legacy, so it's really clear 
the new mission statement is gonna say, to make the hope of Jesus known by building a large Christ-centered, multicultural, <laughs> multi-generational church, transforming culture through creativity and empowering ordinary people to live and lead others dynamically for the cause of God's kingdom. I feel like it's important to add to that a large Christ-centered, multicultural, multi-generational church. When you look out in the foyer of this auditorium for years when you've walked in, it's the Dr. Gary and Janice Smith Auditorium. It says, thank you for building a multi-generational, multicultural vision of hope. So I just wanna let you know that when you look around and see different kinds of people in here, it's not just the result of letting the chips fall where they may. It's really important for us missionally to make sure that everybody knows, no matter what the color of your skin is, that there's a place for you and God loves you. And we wanna stand beside you and we want to encourage you and lift you up in your time of brokenness. I wanna pray right now. I know this has been a long, long message. Thank you for sticking with, with it, those of you that did. And uh, I'm just gonna ask that Jesus would be our ultimate hope today. I wanna bring this back to Jesus right now. And, and I had someone ask me the other day, what, what's your solution for all this? Do you know what I came back to? I, I don't have a political solution. I don't have a solution for anything. Honestly, it's not just my default answer either. either. I've really thought about this. To me, the way maker, Jesus is the only solution for all the brokenness in the world. And, and I just wanna make sure that I'm demonstrating Jesus properly. And when I am, I feel like that's what brings healing. So today, if you don't know Jesus and you're broken, he is the way. He said that about himself. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So today, if you don't know Jesus, I wanna pray right now for you. And after that prayer, I'm gonna pray one prayer for our community as a whole. And then I think we're probably gonna sing another song. <laughs> so if, if you need Jesus right now, I want you to lift your hand in, in the chat rooms, just engage right now and say, I need Jesus in my life. And if that's you today, I'm gonna pray with you right now. Just say, I need Jesus in my life. I believe in col.live, there's a cityoflife.live, there's a place in there that says, raise my hand. Click that button. If you need Jesus to become the Lord and Savior of your life, I wanna pray with you right now. Could you repeat this with me and say, I ask you, Lord Jesus, to forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my sins. I'm turning away from the old life. I'm turning Walking into a brand new life with you, Lord Jesus. You have given everything for me. You purchased me with your blood so I could have hope, so I could have everlasting life. I want to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. And right now, Father, I pray for our nation. I pray for hurting people all over the country. I pray for what is the racial divide in our nation that in a time of brokenness, that rather than continuing to separate, that we would have compassion and kindness for each other. And that Lord, we would be able to corporately say, I'm sorry that you experience what you experience. I'm sorry life is different for you. Or that people would have a place to hurt, a place to express those feelings without fear being rejected and Lord that we would continue to grow and just as Peter Lord was on that journey and kept coming back to those 
tendencies to wanna just do what was comfortable. He had to get shaken up multiple times in order to grow. Shake us up, God, today, so that we can continue to grow to reflect your goodness in everything. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you so much. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.